chapter 2. James chapter 2. And before we get into this, let me just remind you, Noah's prayer letter is ready to go. We need some help with that this afternoon uh, to put those together, to get those mailed out. So if you can help with that after church, please do so. And also there's a birthday card for Soraya on the back table, uh, especially you ladies, but all of the church. Sign it, say something nice to her. And uh, I'm sure that'll be a blessing to Soraya, okay? So that, that card is on the back usher's table. And if you have not paid your family camp fees, that needs to be done. There's still some that are outstanding. And uh, so I want to remind you of that again. Get those paid, please. All right, James chapter 2. Look in verse 1. I should probably get there myself, sorry. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my brethren, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. I want to talk to you today about favoritism, or the sin of partiality. Um, the definition of favoritism is this. The practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. I think you have a firm grasp or handle on the idea or the definition of favoritism. Sometimes what we don't have a grasp on is how that can actually manifest itself in our own life. And we say, oh, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not racist. I'm not whatever. But we can actually demonstrate partiality or show favoritism, which the Word of God says is sin. And then James goes on to say that you may not think it's so bad, but you know what? To offend in one point of the law is to be guilty of all. And you might say, well, I haven't committed adultery. Well, I didn't commit murder. But if you've offended in one point, you've broken all of it. We, it's our, our, our perspective, yeah. our viewpoint. We can't... We can't, we can't uh, weigh them out and say, like, oh, there's some that are really bad and these ones aren't so bad because we don't see ourselves then as God sees us. 
And so we're going to talk about that today. And the truth of the matter is, James talks about this sin of partiality, but the Word of God also tells us that this is, and this is why he says in the first verse, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect to persons. You can't practice your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if this is true about you. And the reason is, is because God is not a respecter of persons. Go to Acts chapter 10, just keep your place here, and look in Acts chapter 10. Acts 10.34 is the verse that I want you to, to look at with me, where the Bible says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, these are words that came out of Peter's mouth, a truth that he learned and was taught. And what makes this impactful is the context in which it's written in. And if you go back and read the context here, what you find is that uh, God showed Peter a vision of the four-footed beasts and the unclean things coming down. And God said, kill it and eat. And Peter's like, no, no, Lord, I've never eaten an unclean thing. And so it happens three different times. And at the end of that, there's a vision of Cornelius who wanted help, who, who needed somebody. And God told him to send some people and you asked for Peter and Simon Peter's supposed to come and so on. And you get down to verse 34 after Peter learns this lesson and he goes to a Gentile man. Peter's conclusion is, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. You know how the Jews looked at Gentiles. We're better than you. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would go way out of their way around just so they wouldn't have to walk through a Samaritan city because of how they viewed themselves, how they viewed other people. That doesn't line up with the truth of God, that God is no respecter of persons. And in the first century, polarized conditions really governed society. I mean, people were either rich or they were poor. People were either slaves or they were free. People were either Jews or Gentiles. They were either Greeks or barbarians, etc. And these polarized conditions really governed society. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ was that in Jesus Christ and in the New Testament church, those social barriers were to lose all of their strength and lose all of their impact because God is no respecter of persons. Paul said to the churches of Galatia in Galatians 3.28, Neither is there Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, in the churches, there's not, these, there's not to be these, these social uh, you know, barriers that are put up and, and some are better than others and some are rich and poor and some have a higher position than others and so on. No, we're all one in Christ. There's an even playing field in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in writing to the Colossians, Paul said, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Where's the emphasis? On Christ. He is all, and he's in all, and we're one in Christ. When we come to our text in James 2, apparently 
some of this line of thinking was still in play or in the hearts of Christian people. And again, even the Apostle Peter needed to learn this lesson, which we read about in Acts chapter 10. And there was another time when, when Peter got carried away with this, with this division and, and, and he wouldn't eat with Gentiles. And Paul said, I withstood him to the face. This is not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we find here from the second chapter of James, that it's apparent that showing partiality was something that was still happening in this early church, but it was a sin. And the sinfulness of it needed to be pointed out. The sin of partiality. The sin of favoritism. It's something that's still prevalent in some forms today. And so I want to examine this passage of Scripture, consider what James has to say about this subject. And there's going to be some very clear applications for you and me. So I want to challenge you to open your mind and your heart and engage with God's Word this afternoon, all right? Let's pray. Lord, help us today, and I pray that we would have uh, a tender, submissive, surrendered heart and open mind. Lord, if there are these tendencies in us inside of this New Testament church, Lord, that we would examine our life and we'd understand it for what it is. It's a transgression of God's law, and there's no way to justify, but what we do need to do is yield and surrender and change for, for the glory of God and by the grace of God. So Lord, I pray that you'd teach us again this afternoon in Jesus' name, amen. The first thought or principle that I want to draw to you, out to you is this. It's found in verse 1, and here's the principle. Favoritism is not compatible with real faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. It's not compatible with real faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase, have not. The word have there, it means to hold... It means to possess, and it carries the idea of practicing something. So I own this, I have this, I hold this, I'm using it, I'm practicing it. So that's the idea behind the word, but James says, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. In other words, you cannot practice faith in Jesus Christ if this is true in your life or having respect of persons. It's not compatible. The principle is based on or rooted in the character of God himself, who doesn't show partiality, but commands his people to be like him and to not do that either. Let's just look at a, a few passages of Scripture to highlight this. Go all the way back in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And note the character of God. That's where this principle is rooted in. The character of God himself who doesn't show partiality and commands his people not to either. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, in verse 17, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and, love, and loveth the stranger 
in giving him food and raiment. So here we find a little bit of the character of God. He's the great God. He's the mighty God. He's a terrible God. He's God of gods. He's Lord of lords. But note what he is. He executeth judgment of the fatherless and the widow. He loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Because he is so far above us, he regardeth not persons. But then you have these that are fatherless and widows and those that don't have anything. And God provides for them. Why? Because he's no respecter of persons. He loves people. Job 34, go there. And we're going to not break all of these things down. These are simply to highlight the character of God toward people. In Job 34, in verse 19, How much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich, the rich more than the poor, for they all are the work of his hands. So he talks about the rich and the poor and the princes and regular people, and the statement is they're all the work of God's hands. He doesn't show favoritism toward one over another. We read in Acts chapter 10 already, so let's look Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. In verse 21. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. So in these people's... Now, they're trying to cause conspiracy here. But one thing that they did know that was true was that he taught the way of God rightly, and he didn't accept the, the person of any, meaning that position or rank wasn't something that he gave favoritism to versus the regular kind of people, and so on. In Romans chapter 2, Romans 2, in verse 11, For there is no respect of persons with God. In other words, we read all of these just to highlight this character of God. And what I'm trying to get at and what I'm trying to say is that God does not play favorites with people. There are no classes with God, especially not based on our perception of social standings, like rich or poor or position or class. Now, somebody say, might say, well, there are favorites with God. He, he shows favoritism toward those that love him and fear him. True. We're not talking about that. So calm down if you're thinking that in your mind. We're talking about the human level, the human level that there isn't some social class or some standing that somebody would have that God views as more important than another. And here's the application. That kind of thinking, that kind of mentality should never enter into the life of a New Testament church. Whether it's visitors walking through the doors or church members sitting in a pew. It should never enter into the life of the church, and especially not among the members of the Lord's church. That mentality that there are classes of people in the body is unscriptural and it's ungodly. The mentality that there are second rate, or some that are less than, because they don't measure up to some sort of standard in somebody else's mind, And then there are first-rate members because they hold some sort of of position or whatever. That's a wrong way to think, and it's a wrong mentality. 
What does that lead to? It leads to clicks inside of the body. And there should never be clicks inside the Lord's church. Groups of friends that are more important than others, showing preferential treatment towards them than others at the expense of others. It shows partiality, and partiality is sin, according to James 2 and verse 9. Now, does that mean that you can't have people that you like more than others? No, that's not what that means. Does that mean that, that, that you can't spend more time with certain people than others? No, that's not what that means. What it does mean is that regardless of the circle of friends that you have, maybe you have things more in common with somebody else than another. That's fine. Maybe you connect on another level, a deeper level than you do with some other people. That's fine. However, it should never be that my group or my way of thinking is better than your group or your way of thinking, and we don't really want to have much to do with you because you're weird and you think strange. Yeah, I'm pointing at you, Chris. It's like, that's offensive. <laughs> that's what it means. We're one in Christ Jesus. We're all on the same playing field. We all come from the same dirt. I was just having a conversation with somebody not, the other, not long ago, just the other day. And in that conversation, what came out was, or part of what we were talking about, was how we view ourselves so often. And a lot of times, in our little circle, or in the four corners of our room, or in the four corners of our little world, we think we're hot stuff. We think we're big stuff. I'm the king of my world. I hold this position. I'm more important than all of you. You don't like what I say or how I do it? That's your problem. Too bad. When in reality, when you go past your little world and your little bubble and the four corners of this room, out there in the real world, you're not even stuff, yeah. let alone big stuff. Yeah. I'm not even stuff. But we can, we can start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and we can make everything about us, and we, can, we just pump, and we, we sound right, and we say all the right things. But in reality, our heart is actually full of pride, and we make everything about us. That leads to this very thought and idea of partiality, or the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view other people. And James is saying favoritism is not compatible with real faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to see God's feelings on the subject. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now we can... Start reading in verse 4, and we can read all the way down, basically through the end of this chapter. And what we're going to find here is that a church is made up of all these different parts and pieces. It's similar to a physical body. 
A physical body has all these different members and parts, fingers and toes and elbows and knees and nose and eyes and ears and all the things. You, you get it. And all of those parts are important. They all function for the good of this body, right? And if you don't have those parts, you're missing some things and you're not going to function right. You're not going to function well. Well, inside of the New Testament church, it's the same thing. And the Spirit of God is the one who places the members in that body. And one member, all by itself, is actually worthless. It needs all of the other ones. And it contributes to the good of the whole. And all of the parts and pieces work together for the good of the whole. And it's the Spirit of God who places them there. It's the Spirit of God who gives those body parts their function. It's not about the individual part. It's about the good of the body. And so... Verse 4 says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And so the Spirit of God gives a gift to the member in the body to profit with all, not to pump up the body part. Make sense? So he goes on in verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He says it's the same way in the church. You've got different body parts in your own body, but you're still one body. And it's the same way in the church. And it's under the administration of the Spirit of God. And under the administration and leadership of the Spirit that you are in this body as it hath pleased the Lord. And then you get down to verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? So it's not about the individual part. It's about the whole thing, the body. And he goes on to say, down in verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. You see God's thoughts on the subject? It's not about the individual parts. It's about the whole thing, and God as the head. There ought not to be an attitude of, I'm more important. Now, no one would ever say that. I'm not going to stand up here and say those things to you that I think I'm more important than you. But you know, I sure could show it in my attitude, in the way that I talk, and more importantly, in the way that I... Sorry. The way that I interact with you. Amen? There ought not to be favoritism in the church. We ought not to have the attitude or the thought, well, I would never hang out with or do 
anything with so-and-so, who do we really think we are anyway? We're nothing special. We're sinners saved by grace. And we certainly shouldn't think we're something special because of who we are. Amen? Each and every one is important. Each has a gift to be used in the body for the good of the whole and the glory of God. That's how we ought to see each other. It's not compatible with real Christianity. James says, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't practice real faith in Jesus Christ with respect of persons. Second principle, look at verses 2 through 4. Go back to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, look at verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? The second principle here is this. Emphasis on the outward appearance is partiality and is sin. Emphasis on the outward appearance is also partiality and sin. Now in James' day, James gives a reference here. He says if somebody comes into your assembly and that person walks in and they've got a gold ring on and they have goodly apparel and right behind him comes a poor man in vile raiment. Man, he's in torn jeans. Well, that might actually be in fashion and style these days, but he's dirty. He doesn't have a nice suit on. He's got a ratty sweater on. And we look him up and down, and we examine the outward, and we make a judgment that, oh, here, the, the guy who's got the nice clothes on, man, he might make a really good church member. We should go and meet him, and we should spend some time talking to him. And the guy who comes in behind in his, in his ratty clothes, and he looks dirty like he's just been underneath the car, maybe he looks like he's had a rough life. Maybe he even looks like he has substance abuse in. Like, oh boy, I don't want to know what's on in his life. I don't know if I want to talk to him. That's kind of what James is talking about here. And we know from other scriptures that Jewish Christians often showed partiality in regards to Gentiles. But in this epistle, the problem wasn't about pedigree. The problem was showing partiality between rich and poor. That was what was going on. Well, how does that relate to today, Pastor? I think we can also be guilty of partiality today. How do we do that? Well, we can show the same kind of favoritism between the rich and the poor. And I gave you that illustration. Giving preferential treatment to a visitor who walks into our service simply based on the way that they look. Sizing one up based on our interpretation of what we see going on in front of our eyes. That's just one illustration. But what about out in the world? 
how, how often do we do the same thing when it comes to witnessing for Christ? We'll see somebody in the world and we'll size them up based on what we see about them and we'll determine whether or not they're going to listen to the gospel or not. Oh, they don't look like they're going to listen. So I wouldn't really say anything. Or man, they look really intimidating. I'm not going to say anything. You understand what I'm saying? We can still be guilty of showing partiality or showing hospitality towards our friends, but not extending the same kind of hospitality to other members in the church. Why not get outside of our comfort zone? Why not try something different and new? Why not try to show, you know what, I actually really love you as a brother or sister in the Lord. And to demonstrate that, I'm going to show interest in you. Hey, you want to go get some coffee together? Why don't you come over, Daniel, so I can beat you in basketball again? It makes me feel better when I beat you, Daniel. By showing partiality between people whether it's based on the fact that they're more of our friends, whether it's based on the fact that there is some ethnical boundary. I mean, come on, really? You understand what I mean? That happens. It happens a lot. Even by showing partiality between friends versus visitors in church. Let me just throw this one out. Not a criticism. I'm not going to pound you over the head with this. But you know, when people walk through our door, we ought to show kindness and love and interest and be friendly. Yeah. We ought to go shake their hand. We ought to go greet them. We ought to say, hey, uh, what brought you here today? Where are you from? How long have you been here? You know, just casual, just to show that, hey, I am glad that you came. It always just gets me. If I've been busy before a church service and I haven't had a chance to go greet a visitor who walks in the door and the song service starts and I see them and I'm like, oh, I haven't shaken their hand. Like, I, it always gets me and I have to stop singing and go down and shake their hand and greet them right then because of the fact that I don't, I don't want them to, to have some sort of impression that they're not valuable or not welcome or, or not wanted just to take a little bit of time to invest in somebody else, just to be friendly, to be welcoming. And sometimes people won't do that because they just cannot get outside of their own comfort zone. They just can't do it. Sadly, the sin of partiality or being biased or being prejudiced, even being racist, can be just as prevalent today as it was in the days when James wrote this epistle. And so it makes the words of James very relevant and worth consideration. It's not compatible with real Christianity. That's not what Jesus was. Showing emphasis on the outward rather than the heart, rather than the person. Giving preferential treatment based on those things is also partiality. And the third, look at verses 8 through 11 here. In James chapter 2, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself, you do well. But if ye have respect to persons, 
ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that, say, that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. James is using an illustration here to help us understand perspective. He says, you know what, you can keep all of the law. You can fulfill the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you're doing a great job. However, don't just prop yourself up and think, hey, I've got things going on and I'm doing a good job. Because if you have respect of persons, you're also transgressing the law. And you need to understand that just because you didn't commit murder or you didn't commit adultery doesn't mean that this sin of partiality isn't just as bad in God's eyes. Because if you've broken one, you've broken them all. We can't weigh it out like, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. Not in God's eyes. The third principle is that the sin of partiality breaks the royal law. He says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. That is one of the most foundational laws that God has ever given. Jesus proclaimed that in Matthew chapter 22. Go over there. Matthew chapter 22. Look at verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All of the commands of God in the law and the prophets can be summed up and wrapped up in these two commands. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbors yourself. The Apostle Paul taught the same thing in Romans chapter 13 where he says in verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul says the same thing. It doesn't matter what command it is. You read all of these commands here. They're all comprehended or understood in this one saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the most fundamental laws that God has ever given. It's emphasized here in our text by James. By breaking one law. Even if you do all of this, you break one. You're guilty of all the laws. And the point is this, to show partiality is to make one as guilty as, as if they committed all the others. And what it does for us is it illustrates how exceeding sinful partiality really is in the eyes of God. God hates it. And so we cannot and should not have this scale that we weigh things out with. Like, oh man, those ones are really bad. 
But this I'm guilty of, but it's really not that bad. It's the wrong perspective. So as we conclude or wrap it up here, once we've covered all of this in view of all these things, we can understand why James would say, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. It's not compatible. God hates it. We can also better understand Peter's reasoning, why he had to except the Gentiles. He said in Acts chapter 11, in verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus, what was I that I should withstand God? Right perspective of himself. And we're more likely to heed the admonition of the Apostle Paul, where he said, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Do you understand the importance of it? The, 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 the clicks or the, the partiality, it disrupts the, the, the purpose of a New Testament church uh, to serve the Lord. And Paul said, have the same mind one to another so that you with the same mind and the same heart and the same mouth, you can give God glory. We ought to be unified for the purpose of Christ. This destroys that. Our high, thinking highly of ourselves or our attitude, you know, saying the right things, but our, our attitudes and other things demonstrate that's not really there. It's a hindrance to the work of the Lord. Pride is a hindrance to the work of the Lord in a New Testament church. I'm simply saying this, brethren, we serve a glorious Lord. He has a glorious church that we've been privileged to be a part of. We do things or should do things as a body for the glory of God. And may we never allow the sin of partiality or bias or prejudice or anything else to taint the glory of the Lord in any way. It's possible that you and I could be living in such a way and not even really recognize it. Not even really know it. And so ask the Lord, help me to see myself and my own actions. And am, am I guilty of this? Do I show preferential treatment? Do I show partiality in some way? And if I do, Lord, I want to confess it. I want to make it right. Because I love your church. And I love the Lord's people. And I want to serve you and bring glory to you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Challenge us with it. Encourage us with it. In Jesus' name, amen.